How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus prayed to the Father, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Before we get started, we'll have a few moments of silent prayer so everyone can make sure that they're in fellowship and ready to study the word, and then I will open in prayer. Scripture teaches that we need to be in fellowship, uh, walking by means of God the Holy Spirit, enjoying uh, that relationship with God, and when we are walking by the Spirit, then the Holy Spirit is the dynamic that empowers us in in the spiritual life. Otherwise, we're walking according to the flesh or the sin nature, as Paul says in Galatians 5, uh, 17. And as a result of that, we just produce wood, hay, and straw in our lives. It's, it's not productive spiritually, and it's just human good. So we always begin class with a few moments of silent prayer, and then I open in prayer. This gives you the opportunity to build into your life the discipline of regular confession of sin. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, it's a tremendous privilege we have to come before you in prayer, knowing that we have direct access to you because the veil has been torn as a result of the death of Christ on the cross. He is our high priest seated at your right hand, and we have direct access into your throne room, to the throne of grace, to bring our uh, prayers before you. Father, we just are so very grateful for all that you've given us and provided for us in terms of our spiritual life. We're thankful that you have given us each and every uh, blessing, including the indwelling and the filling of God the Holy Spirit. We have a completed canon of Scripture. We have sound biblical teaching available to us. And, Father, we pray that we might not take this for granted, but that this might be a priority in our lives, that we might uh, buy the truth and sell it not, that we might make this a key focal point in our spiritual life, recognizing that of all the things that we do in life, the one thing that has real enduring value that will last beyond the grave is that which is produced in our souls as a result of our time in your word. And so, Father, we pray that this time will be profitable not only for eternity but also for now, that we might be challenged in terms of our day-to-day priorities and especially in terms of our prayer life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We are in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, where we are looking at Paul's initial prayer. Paul's initial prayer, as we've seen uh, in other epistles, uh, reflects a lot of his priorities, and his priorities should be our priorities. And as we read these prayers, we learn what we should pray for, how we should pray for them. They are models for us of prayer and what we should do. They give us an action plan in terms of uh, ideas and uh, uh, requests and f- things that we should focus on, things that we should make priorities in our life. And so uh, we ha- we began a study of this uh, the last time as we looked at uh, Paul's persistence in prayer, that this is something that should be characteristic of our lives. Again and again in his <coughs> opening prayers, he talks about how he is always making mention 
uh, of his audience, of the people he's addressing. Uh, he's always making mention of them in his prayers continuously whenever they come to memory. And so he is focusing on these, built that discipline uh, into his thought life that when he thinks of people, things come up, he focuses on that. We looked how important the prayer prayer life was in our Lord's prayer life. And we looked at passages uh, there as well. Now, in Thessalonians, just to give you a little review, as we're fo- continuing to focus on prayer, in this lesson we'll focus on aspects related to gratitude, uh, <coughs> thankfulness in prayer, intercession, and petition, three important areas, uh, areas of prayer. Uh, Paul's on his second missionary journey. Uh, I'm excuse me, his, uh, yes, second missionary journey where he has gone to Thessalonica. After leaving Thessalonica, he headed south, went to uh, Varia, or Berea as we pronounce it in English, then to Athens, and then to Corinth. While he's on this journey, he had sent uh, Timothy back to uh, Thessalonica in order to encourage and strengthen and continuing some follow-up with this young church that had been established there. Remember when Paul first went to Macedonia, and Thessalonica is, Thessalonica is one of the key cities in, in, Thess, in uh, excuse me, in Macedonia, that he was uh, arrested and beaten in Philippi, beaten illegally, so he has been treated badly. By the time he got to Thessalonica, there is a, a reaction that sets in after three weeks of teaching in the synagogue. There is a reaction, again, uh, opposition from within the Jewish community, but as we see in this epistle, also from the Greek pagan community. Uh, now, it's not directed as much as at Paul as it had been in Philippi, but it is directed to those converts who had responded to his gospel uh, presentation and who were forming the nucleus of this new church, this new congregation in Thessalonica. Now, he didn't get to spend that much time there. We think it was somewhere around three or four months. He taught a lot. It's obvious from this epistle that he taught quite a bit. Part of what he taught included eschatology, that is the theological area related to future things. He taught about uh, death. He taught about the afterlife. He taught that uh, for a believer in Christ, they immediately went into the presence of the Lord, uh, though their body went into the grave. And he taught that Jesus would come back soon. He believed in the imminent return of Christ, that is, that Jesus could return at any moment and that no prophecy had to be fulfilled in order to... Uh, be prepared in order for Jesus to come back for the church at the event we call the rapture. That is a signless event, and nothing has to precede that. Paul believed it was going to happen in his lifetime. It's very clear from a number of passages that he believed it was uh, imminent any moment, and yet uh, it did not happen in his lifetime. And, and from the time he was there until the time uh, he writes this epistle. There had been those in Thessalonica who had died, and in the euphemism that's used in the Scripture, they had fallen asleep in Jesus. I often joke that we have a lot of people, that a lot of Christians I know who are asleep in Jesus. They're just kind of dead to their spiritual life. But anyway, that's not what Paul means. He means that they are uh, they have died, they've absent from the body, their body's gone to the grave, their soul has gone into heaven to be face-to-face with the Lord. But the Thessalonian believers are not 
sure about this. And so they ask several questions of Paul, which Timothy brings to them, and Paul responds in this letter. Now, what's important to understand is the personal, deeply personal nature of, of this epistle. Because when Paul writes to them, he, as he does in most of his epistles, there's an opening uh, prayer. Sometimes it's a little extended, as it was in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, it's more than that here. The, there's the opening prayer, but there's more of an introduction. In fact, the introduction goes all the way down uh, to chapter 3, uh, through chapter 3, down to 3.13. It's a deeply personal uh, letter because what part of what Paul is doing is sharing himself with these uh, Thessalonians. Uh, he wasn't there very long. They needed to get a sense of, of who he was again and his care for them, that he didn't just come and uh, proclaim this message and then just leave town never to be heard from again. And so his response uh, response to them is one that is more personal and less uh, doctrinal, less didactic in the first three chapters. Now, there's a lot there that we'll see and that we can learn from because all Scripture is in, breathed out by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. And so there's there's important material there, but it's couched within this more intimate, personal, uh, personal time. Paul writes, uh, accompanied by Silas and Timothy, who he had sent back to um, the Thessalonians to do follow-up there, and he, we have his opening comments and opening to his prayer in 1 Thess 1, 2 through 4. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. I think with the participles here, we give thanks to God always for you all when we mention you uh, in our prayers, remembering uh, without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Now notice there's a period at the end of verse 4 in the New King James translation Actually, the first ten verses here are one long sentence in the Greek. There are a number of independent clauses uh, that are linked together, but this is the first section. Some translations put a, put a semicolon at the end of verse 4. It does represent a, an initial thought, but it conti- it's a continuous uh, sentence in the Greek, focusing on his uh, gratitude and thankfulness uh, to God. So I just lost my uh, uh, <clears throat> presentation, just quit. So we're going to take a second here and reopen it, and we will move forward. Okay. Uh, verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you. We saw this is the Greek verb, Evkaristeo, where we get our word Eucharist for the Lord's table. It means to give thanks. It's a present tense verb indicating a continuous action 
on the Apostle Paul's part, something that continuously characterizes uh, his ministry. And we looked at his persistence in prayer, some of the passages, such as Romans 1, nine, where he talks about praying without ceasing, First uh, Thessalonians 3.10, night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Uh, Philippians 1, 3, and 4, where he tells the Philippians he's always in every prayer making mention of them. And then we ended by looking at these three verses from the Gospels, which focus on the priorities in our Lord's life, the priorities I talked about where he would uh, take himself away from his disciples, take him away, himself away from the press or the crowds, and he would uh, use this time as a focal point on his relationship to God. Now, remember this. This is related to Jesus in his humanity. This is not Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, pulling away to have uh, communion with God uh, the Father, the first person of the Trinity. This is the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ living out his spiritual life and demonstrating the priority of prayer even in his spiritual uh, spiritual life. <clears throat> and so from that we learn how important it must be for us as fallen sinners to make it a priority to pull away from all the pressures of life, to get away from Twitter and Facebook, all the social media, get off the computer, put away your uh, smartphones, uh, focus on the Lord, re- restore some quietness to your life. This last year I've had the opportunity uh, <clears throat> on two occasions to celebrate a, a Sabbath dinner in a Jewish home, a Shabbat dinner, once in Israel back in May and once again in uh, August when uh, Yorm Edinger was here. And I really came to appreciate the significance of Shabbat. They turn off all the electronics. They turn off their phones. They turn off their iPads and computers. And it is a time when the family comes together uh, every Friday night. They they have dinner together. They talk about what's going on in their lives. Uh, they do different things uh, in order to make that a uh, more significant time uh, time in their life. And then that extends all the way through Saturday, and it is time when they get away from all of those pressures of work and um, always being on call with your cell phone or with your computer and looking at that, and it is really a tremendous time. Uh, we shouldn't impose that legalistically, but the idea of having that time every week has always been in the church. The, they called Sunday, not the Sabbath, not the seventh day, but Sunday, the Lord's Day, and they often would use that in the same way they had I remember the early Christians were all Jewish in background, and they would use that in a similar way as the Sabbath, using that as a time to to withdraw uh, into the families and to get away from the day-to-day responsibilities and to focus that time uh, on the Lord. This is a general principle. It's not an absolute, but it's a general principle that we need to have that time regularly set aside, cut out the interruptions, and focus on the Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ did that regularly, and we should as well. Prayer is part of our responsibility uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ, as it was with the Lord Jesus Christ. So now, uh, going forward, looking at a couple of other things in relation to Paul's priorities in prayer, we have the emphasis on on praise, the emphasis on praise and gratitude. 
For example, Ephesians chapter 1 through one of my favorite verses because it tells us something about what God has given every single one of us, what we received at the instant of salvation. Uh, there we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now we need to look a minute at that word for blessing, especially how it's used in the first uh, first line, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now God is the one who is the source of blessing. True blessing can only come from God, and that's what we see reflected in the next two uses of the word for blessing, that God has blessed us with every blessing. But that first statement, blessed be the God and Father, does not mean that we bless God unless we understand that in uh, in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, when you talk about blessing God, that word, which is uh, barak, uh, in the uh, in the Hebrew, it sounds like the first name of our president, but it's a different word. Uh, there's a uh, Ehud Barak uh, was uh, prime minister of Israel. There was a general Barak who was uh, who fought with Deborah. But that is a word. It's a it's a homonym. It sounds like it's the, the word for blessing. But there's also another word that relates to uh, lightning, and it's pronounced the same. But this word. Uh, <clears throat> makarios in the Greek, uh, when it is really a, a, another way of talking about praising God. That when we talk about blessing God, what we're really saying is praise to God. We're expressing thankfulness and gratitude to God for what He has done. And that's what Paul is doing in Ephesians 1 3. We need to thank God for the spiritual blessings that he has given us in Christ. How many of us can sit down and list the privileges and the blessings that God has given us in Christ, our positional blessings in Christ? Uh, we have positional blessings related to God the Holy Spirit. We have positional blessings related to our priesthood. We have positional blessings related to our <clears throat> new life in Christ. We have positional blessings in relation to all of the facets of salvation, uh, redemption, regeneration, propitiation, imputation of righteousness, justification, uh, reconciliation. All of these are part of the blessing package that God gave us at the instant of salvation. And notice that he blessed us with every spiritual blessing, blessings that we cannot uh, fathom, blessings that are beyond our comprehension, blessings that we don't even know about because they're, they're so vast. And they are ours because we're in Christ. And that relates to something that happens at the instant of salvation when we are identified by God the Holy Spirit. The, our Lord Jesus Christ uses God the Holy Spirit in an act called the baptism by the Holy Spirit, described in Romans 6, 3, that we are identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And as such, we have died to sin. And sin no longer uh, has a power over us like it did before we were saved. Unless we give it to, to, to the sin nature. The sin nature uh, was the only authority in our life before we were saved. We had no option but to live on the power of the sin nature. But once we're saved because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are now free to live a life uh, free from sin. Now, that is not realized experientially for us 
very often. Uh, we have to be walking by the Spirit, and if we don't learn those dynamics, then it doesn't happen. So the first area we see is praise that's emphasized by the Apostle Paul, and that's very closely connected to thankfulness, expressing thanks to God for what he has given us. Thanks to God for what he has uh, given us. Uh, Notice in this particular verse, uh, this is tied... Um, this is tied to uh, their reputation, the reputation of the Thessalonian believers in terms of their spiritual life. In Romans 1.8, Paul says the same thing about the believers in Rome. He says in uh, 1.8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, one thing we should observe here is that Paul is addressing his prayers in each of these instances to God, not to the Son, not to the Holy Spirit, but to God the Father. And in Romans 1.8, it's very clear that he comes to God the Father through Jesus Christ. This indicates that Jesus Christ is a means of entry to God the Father because Jesus Christ is our intercessor, as is God the Holy Spirit. So we don't pray to the Son. We don't pray to the Holy Spirit because they are interceding for us. We pray to God the Father. He is the one to whom we address uh, all of our prayers, and that is foundational to understanding uh, proper prayer. Now, when Paul writes to the Romans, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. So gratitude is towards everyone. This is an aspect of his love for all of those in the congregation in Rome, people whom he did not know, people whom he had never met, but he loved them because they were, A, created in the image and likeness of God, and B, because they were regenerate and they were members of God's royal family. Now, he did not have to have a personal relationship with them in order to love them. Sometimes we refer to this kind of love as impersonal. That doesn't mean it's cold or distant. It means that a personal relationship is not at the heart of this kind of love. It's not something that's built around those uh, that the apostle had a, a, a personal attachment to. He did not know them. So he is uh, making a point here that he prays for all of them because of his uh, love for them, because they are also in Christ. And notice what he is praying for. He is uh, what he's thankful for, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. There is, They have a reputation. We might pause here and ask, What is our spiritual reputation? What is the reputation that we have among our family and among our friends and among our co-workers? Is it obvious that our life is different from others? A lot of times Christians today have lives that sort of blend into the pagan environment around them because they don't want to stand out. They don't want to be seen as different. And yet in the pagan environment of the first century, 
in the Greco-Roman Empire, it's very clear that these people stood out because of their focus on a single God, their focus on a Trinitarian God whose son died on the cross for their sins, and above all because they were living out the principle of John 13, 33, and 34, that we were to love one another as Christ has loved us. And by this, that is love for one another, all men will know that you are my disciples, Jesus said. So their faith is spoken of, those in Rome, their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. It's being talked about. There's something distinctive about this group of believers, and of course, it also generated hostility. We know from our our uh, <coughs> uh, study of what happens in uh, uh Ephesus and some of the other communities, what happened in Corinth when Paul was in Corinth, where he met with a, first met Priscilla and Aquila, is that back in Rome there had been uh, some problems with the Jewish community there, uh, so that by AD 49, uh, Claudius expelled all the Jews from Rome. And what we know from uh, one comment by Suetonius, who was a Roman historian, is that it had something to do with this person called, and he spelled it Crestos with an E. And it is assumed or conjectured on the basis of that that somehow a division had occurred within the Jewish community over uh, the uh, over Christ, Jesus as Messiah, and because of that division, it led to some some hostilities. We've certainly seen that with the Apostle Paul as he traveled through these different uh, uh, towns and cities in in uh, in Greece and experienced the hostility from from some of the synagogues there. And so it was clear that 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 they uh, there were negative things that happened as well. But there's a positive related to the to the Christians. And so Paul expresses his his uh, praise for them and for their spiritual growth. Their faith here is not talking about their faith at salvation, but it's talking about their ongoing use of faith, believing the promises of God, what we refer to as the faith rest drill. Now that's important because we have to distinguish the various ways in which Faith is used in Scripture. Sometimes it talks about faith in Christ in relationship to salvation. For example, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That's talking about that one time in a person's life when they put their faith alone in Christ alone and they move from being an unregenerate sinner under condemnation to a a righteous, justified, regenerate individual who is now in the body of Christ, in Christ, and who has eternal life. That's saving faith. Then there is the faith that is operational on a day-to-day basis as we live out the Christian life, claiming promises, mixing our faith with the promises of God and with the uh, principles of God's Word. And it's so important to know God's Word. When Jesus is countering the uh, temptation, the testing of Satan, notice he's not saying, well, let me see, there are five principles according to this doctrine. That's not how he handled it. He handled it by quoting Scripture because he had followed the injunction of uh, David in the Psalms, that he hid God's word in his heart. 
And so that is what we are to do as well. We should be regularly memorizing Scripture and not just learning doctrinal principles. And so as a result, that faith, that is their day-to-day faith, their ongoing sanctification faith, that faith-rest-drill faith was uh, being spoken of throughout the world. And this is was also true in Thessalonica. Uh, Paul says a little later on, uh, three or four verses down, that these Thessalonian believers became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. So their spiritual life became an example to others. And this is held out several times in Scripture where believers who are pursuing spiritual growth and have their priorities right and are living out their lives in a way that glorifies God, that this is an example, it's an encouragement to other believers. So Paul expresses his thankfulness and directs it to God through Jesus Christ. Now this reminds us of Hebrews 4:15 and 16, which tells us why we have this access through Christ. He is our intercessor. He is the one who stands in our place as our high priest. Uh, Hebrews 4:15, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, "For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, there's a double negative there in English, which cancels these things out. What he is saying is we do have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses because our high priest is fully human. He is a 100% human, and there we go again. For some reason, I am uh, <coughs> losing my uh, uh, keynote this evening. Anyway, we're back online there. Um that Jesus Christ is our high priest and he understands what we go through because he went through those same types of testing yet without sin. Uh, and this is what we have in Hebrews 4, uh, 4.15. He was uh, tested. That would be a better way to put it in English. Temptation often uh, conveys the idea that we have yielded to the enticement. But temptation has an objective sense, which is simply uh, offering the enticement. Uh, for someone to be tempted does not necessarily mean that they yield to the temptation. Uh, so this is Jesus Christ here, had never yielded to temptation, but he was tested in every arena of life, yet without sin. In verse 16, we read, Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that is, the throne of God the Father, where we are directing our prayers. Let us come boldly or with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a tremendous promise we have as believers, that we have this immediate access to God the Father through Jesus Christ. It's no longer going to be uh, vectored through an intermediate priesthood. It's no longer vectored through some sort of temple ritual or tabernacle ritual, but it is direct access for all, male, female, bond, slave, rich, or poor. It's the same for everyone as long as you are in fellowship walking by the Spirit. Now, second thing we note in Paul's uh, prayers, what uh, just think about 
what kinds of things should we be thankful for? Often when we hear people pray, they're thankful for the details of life that they have, for the way God has given them a new car or their education or uh, their spouse or their kids. And these are fine, but, but let's not be quite so superficial in our gratitude towards God. Let's try to uh, dig down a little more profoundly into what God has given us and how he has supplied these things for us. And we see some examples in what Paul uh, expresses his gratitude for in his prayers. We have examples for, uh, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Paul says, I thank my God. Notice once again he's addressing his prayer to God the Father, not to Jesus or the Holy Spirit. He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. So first of all, he's not focused on himself, and that's one of the important things about regular, consistent prayer and writing out, listing things to be thankful for, is to discipline our thinking, to get it off of me, 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 to get it off of my problems, my issues, uh, what I need to happen, and all the things that are going on in my life, and focus on others and to be thankful for what God has given to others and not to be so self-absorbed and self-centered. So Paul says, I thank my God always concerning you. And remember, he's writing this to the Corinthians, those nasty little carnal Corinthians who are fighting, who are accusing him of all kinds of things, who have often set themselves up in opposition against Paul, rejecting his leadership, rejecting his authority. And yet Paul expresses his humility here, thanking God for them and for the way God's grace has been manifested in them by Christ Jesus. Now, what we see here as we look at this text, it, the King James or New King James Version in 1 Corinthians translates the preposition, the Greek preposition in plus Christ as by Jesus, but that's not correct. That's the, the wrong translation. It should be in Christ. It's emphasizing positional truth blessing here, what we have in Christ. And so he says, I, I'm, I thank my God always uh, for the grace of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus. This is our possession. Once again, this is one of the blessings that we have been given at the point of salvation, as we saw mentioned in Ephesians 1, 3. This is part of that package of, of, of blessings and assets that God the Father gives every believer at the instant of salvation. And then he goes on to say that you were enriched. Enriched. This is a very strong word in the Greek. Platizo means to be made wealthy beyond all your dreams, to be given an overabundant supply of whatever it is you think you might need. And this also relates to the doctrine of the sufficiency of God's grace. He's given you more than enough. You know, often we say, well, he gave me enough. It's like he just skimped by, we just barely got what we needed. But no, we were given everything we need in abundance. We are made rich. The word used in economic context to talk about financial enrichment, but it's used in spiritual context to talk about being supplied abundantly in terms of everything we need uh, to live our spiritual life and for our relationship uh, with God. 
And so Paul is thankful that that we received this grace at the instant of our salvation and that we were enriched in everything. Now, let me give you a challenge. When you sit down to pray next time, sit down and make a list of what this everything is in terms of your understanding of God's word and your understanding of what God has given you at the instant of salvation and make that part of the specifics of your of your prayer life. Uh, being thankful for the specifics of what God gave you in your spiritual life. One of those would be the ability to pray directly to God the Father, having an intercessor in the Holy Spirit and an intercessor in Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? That every single day God the Holy Spirit is praying to God the Father for you. Every single day, God the Son is praying to God the Father for you. Well, what are they praying for? Well, go look at John chapter 17, which is Jesus Christ's high priestly prayer to God the Father the night before he went to the cross to be crucified. And list the different things that Jesus is praying for for his disciples. Those are the same kinds of things he is praying for for you and the same kinds of things you should be praying for for yourself, getting a divine list of the things we should pray for in terms of our own our own spiritual life. So Paul is thankful that they were enriched in everything in Christ, positionally, in Christ in all utterance, that is, in everything related to the communication of the Word of God and knowledge, that is, that which they need in order to live the Christian life. It's based on knowledge. Now, some people think, oh, well, we know too much. No, we don't know enough. And the more you know, the more you can apply. You will never, in any field of life, whatever it is, you never know but a small, I mean, you never apply but a small percentage of what you know. Think of someone who has gone through medical school, someone who's gone through law school, someone who has gone through seminary, someone who has gone through, uh, any number of other advanced trainings for particular careers in life. Uh, they go into their career, and often they are put someplace where they sort of specialize in one particular area of their field, and they only use a small percentage of their overall uh, general knowledge in that particular field. But the more you know overall, the more you're going to be able to apply because there's a proportional relationship between the amount you know and the amount you're able to apply. So if you have, you know, uh, a million units of knowledge, uh, you're able to apply maybe 10 units of knowledge. But if you have a 100 billion units of knowledge, then you could apply 10 billion units of knowledge. So the, the amount of knowledge that you have is directly related uh, to the uh, application of the word in, in your life. So Paul expresses this here, that they're enriched in everything in relation to communication of the word, utterance, and knowledge, knowledge about the word. <clears throat> this is seen also in another area of prayer, that is prayer for spiritual knowledge, as we see in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. 
How many times have you sat down and prayed or regularly sat down and prayed and thank God for what you know about the Word of God and pray that you would know more, pray that God would expand your understanding of God's Word, pray that God would help you to understand not only the all the implications of basic doctrine in your life but more advanced doctrine, help you to understand everything that you're taught about the Word and able to uh, implement and use that. I pray that God would enable you to memorize more Scripture. I pray that God would enable you to put into practice more of what you know. This should be part of our prayer life every single day. Note what Paul does in Ephesians 1, 15 through 18. He says, uh, Therefore, I also, that is the Apostle Paul is saying, this is what he does in prayer, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Now that's... That first statement there is probably speaking of the uh, <clears throat> of the Ephesians, uh, not only their salvation but their ongoing spiritual life faith. Remember, he writes uh, he writes Ephesians when he's in prison in Rome. This is after his third missionary journey. He goes back to Jerusalem. He is arrested uh, 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 there because of the persecution, the riots that occur on the Temple Mount. And he appeals to Caesar. He's uh, held for two years under house arrest in Caesarea, uh, Maritima, there on the coast, before he finally gets on a ship, uh, goes to goes to to Rome. So this is uh, two or three years after he was in Ephesus, uh, <clears throat> which is described that last visit at Miletus is described in Exodus. I mean, in uh, Acts chapter twenty. And so now he's in Rome. So. Three, four, five years have gone by uh, since he saw them. So he knows that they are believers, and he's not just uh, expressing a thankfulness that they're justified, but he's emphasizing their spiritual growth and spiritual life, their use of faith in, in terms of the faith rest drill and ongoing uh, spiritual growth. So he says, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. Now, their love for all the saints is not something that happens immediately. Uh, when you're a child, think about some child you know, two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old. They love mommy and daddy. But when they're 30 or 40 and they say they love mommy and daddy, it's a totally different thing. They, they now have an adult comprehension of reality and who their parents are, and it means something. Whereas when they're two or three years old, they're just basically expressing a child's view of love. They're, they're grateful, they're thankful uh, that they're fed and they're warm and mommy and daddy take care of them. And so when we're a baby believer... We have a child's, a spiritual infant's concept of love for God but and uh, love for others, but it's not the mature adult sense that we see commanded in the New Testament. Uh, in John 13, 34, and 35, where we talk about, where Jesus talks about loving one another as he loved us. So this is a, a second. So what we see here, are a couple of the different spiritual skills. Now, it's been a while since I've taught on the um, spiritual fortress and on the problem-solving devices, and we're going to get back into that a little more. These are spiritual skills that summarize the, the ongoing spiritual life. And in some way, this emphasis on faith and the faith rest drill sort of undergirds those first uh, four or five uh, uh, spiritual skills, uh, 
confession of sin, walking by the Spirit, faith, rest, real grace orientation, doctrinal orientation are all uh, predicated upon really understanding this concept of trusting God and walking, uh, walking by means of faith day to day. Love uh, takes us to another level in the spiritual life, a more mature level where we're truly living and being motivated on the basis of our love for God the Father and our love for uh, one another. And so Paul is expressing here by using both of these phrases, faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, he is expressing uh, that uh, thankfulness for their spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. And he says, I've heard of these things, and as a result of hearing about your spiritual growth and your spiritual maturity, I do not cease to give thanks for you again. This emphasis on continuously praying for someone. I do not cease giving thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And why is he making mention in his prayers? Making mention of you in my prayers for the purpose, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about that phrase a minute. God of our Lord Jesus Christ here is specifically talking about God the Father. He is the authority within the Trinity. Jesus Christ is full, undiminished deity. There's nothing the Father has that he doesn't have. There's nothing that uh, he has in less less degree than the Father. They are totally equal in, in their essence, but there is a distinction in terms of their role. And that God the Father is the, God, the, the head of the Trinity, the authority in the Trinity, and he's further defined as the Father of glory or the glorious Father recognizing his ultimate position of authority within the Trinity. And the prayer is that God the Father, who is the ultimate bestower of blessing, remember this is Ephesians 1, we just got through earlier talking about the fact that God God the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, that the Father of glory may give to you, what? The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And this relates to knowledge, spiritual knowledge, related to knowing the word of God and understanding the word of God so that we might grow to maturity. So how often, let me ask you, how often are you praying that God would give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him? Now, this isn't asking for revelatory gifts. This is asking that God would uh, open up, as he goes on to say in the next verse, open up the eyes of your understanding. And here he uses the, the physical uh, uh, member of our body, the eye, which which lets light into our uh, our, our brain as a picture of the, the soul receiving light from the truth of God's revelation. And so he's this concept of the eyes of our understanding is just a way of talking about being further illuminated in our thinking by the truth of God's word. So he's praying that for all these things. He's basically praying here that we might have our understanding of God's word and God's truth expanded upon and that we might have a fuller grasp of Scripture. And, you know, if you're going to pray that, you need to be listening to the word of God and the teaching of the word of God more than once a week. More than twice a week, every single day, should be a focus in your life. Now, I know we all have very busy lives, but there are a lot of different ways in which we can 
uh, focus on this, and it doesn't have to be for a full hour of Bible class. I remember talking to a very busy seminary student. Trust me, there's there's nobody who's busier than somebody who's going to school full-time and has other people dictating all the things he needs to be doing. And if they're working alongside of that, any I'm referring to anybody who's a student, it's very hard to squeeze in some of this additional time. And uh, he was talking to me and said, oh, I'm in the Word all day long, but I'm not just in it for me. And I said, well, he said, I used to listen to a tape an hour or listen to a message an hour every day, but I don't have time. I said, listen for 15 minutes every day. Listen for 10 minutes every day. Just carve out something every single day, and you'd be amazed at how much you learn and how much you grow over time. And that should be a matter of prayer, that God strengthens you and enables you to carve out that time and to open up the eyes of your soul so that you can have a better comprehension and better understanding uh, of the word. Uh, Praying that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now notice, I I didn't underline it here in the previous, uh, yes I did, in the previous uh, verses, uh, the faith in the Lord Jesus, love for the saints, and then in verse uh, uh, 18, the hope of his calling, faith, hope, and love. These are the three primary uh, Christian virtues that uh, abide or continue throughout the church age. It is not talking so much about their uh, the, the fact that they are permanent, I mean, that they are elevated, but that they are the permanent abiding realities in the church age. These are the three central virtues, and these show up in verse 3 that when Paul talks to the Thessalonians, he says that he is remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope, faith, love, and hope. Those three are mentioned together several places in the Scripture not only in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 13, now these three abide or continue faith, hope, and love, but also mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3, and in Ephesians 1, uh, 15 through 18, so that we may know something, gnosis, have an understanding, comprehension of the hope, that is the future expectation of our calling, what God has invited us to. Calling has to do with that invitation to salvation, but it's not just an invitation to live eternally with God, but to fulfill a destiny. So that's why we often relate hope to our pers- the personal sense of our eternal destiny, that we come to learn that we have a destiny to rule and reign with Christ. That's our expectation, and that is what's going to motivate us today in order to live for him. So this knowledge of the word is very important. It has to be gnosis knowledge, that is basic knowledge, before it can be converted by the Holy Spirit to epinosis or full knowledge, full usable knowledge. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 talks about this as well. And Paul tells Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. That's how the Apostle Paul describes himself before he was saved. He was uh, a blasphemer towards God because he didn't understand grace. He was a persecutor because he hated those who did understand grace and who believed in Jesus as their Messiah. And he was an insolent man. He had a, he rejected the authority of God, uh, in, in favor of the authority of men and religion. 
And he says, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And then verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with what? Faith and love, two of the three. Doesn't mention hope here, but the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And so he's talking about the fact that he has, um, uh, he is thankful because God has given him everything he needs for living the uh, spiritual uh, the spiritual life. <clears throat> then we come to Colossians, uh, Romans 1.11, where we talk about intercession. And Romans 1.11, talking about intercession. And uh, Paul says, Paul says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. So he's praying that uh, as he uses, he's not going to give them a spiritual gift. They receive that at salvation. But he's going to pray that, that from his spiritual gift, he will impart uh, knowledge of the word to them that they may be further established and grounded in their uh, spiritual life and their understanding of the basics of God's word. This idea of being established is related to building a foundation, which is why we have two series, Foundations for Life, which relate to the basic doctrines of the spiritual life, and Foundation for Living, which has to do with the basic doctrines for the spiritual life. Mastering those is key to spiritual growth. So Paul says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. And he goes on to say, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you. See, he's longing to see them, and he has been praying for them, and this is part of what he is praying for, that he can come to them and teach them the word. And so you ought to be thinking in terms of your life when you're interceding for others, some of the ways in which you can be praying for them in terms of their spiritual life and their spiritual growth. He does the same thing in terms of uh, Timothy. He's sent Timothy uh, to back to the Thessalonians. He mentions this in First Thess chapter three, verse two. Uh, sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Again, this is part of that personal part of the first three chapters of Thessalonians, where he's saying that he didn't just abandon them when he left, uh, but that he sent Timothy and Silas back in order to teach them the word, to establish them and make sure that they had a healthy start in their spiritual life, Uh, to establish them, to encourage them concerning their faith, that is their ongoing spiritual growth in terms of the faith rest drill, so that he, that is God, may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God the Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. This is where he begins to foreshadow the coming section in chapters four and five, dealing with the second, uh, dealing with the second coming of Christ in terms of first the rapture and then the second coming. That as believers, when we're raptured, we go before the judgment seat of Christ, where we're evaluated. And so Paul is concerned about preparing the congregation and believers now for that future time when they appear before the judgment seat of Christ. In Second Thess two seventeen, he says to comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. That's what he's praying for that they might be established in every good word and work, 
And he reminds them of this in Second Thess 3, 3, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. These are the things to pray for, that I might be established and protected from the evil one. Then we look at Philippians chapter 1, 9 to 11. He said, this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Are we praying that way? Are we praying, God, would you allow my to love to abound more and more in all knowledge and discernment? This is what we should be praying for. For the purpose, verse 10, that we may approve the things that are excellent, that we may know uh, what is excellent, not just good versus bad, but better versus not quite so good. Uh, to approve the things that are excellent, pursuing a high standard in the Christian life that we may be uh, sincere without offense until the day of Christ. Notice once again, the, this is referring to the judgment seat of Christ in the future when we're evaluated and having been filled uh, with the fruits of righteousness. Now, when we're uh, <clears throat> the initial part of the prayer, he's praying that they'd have all discernment. This is a word meaning judgment or perception or knowledge, the ability to make good decisions. And then lastly, in verse 11, he's praying that they might be filled uh, with the fruits of righteousness. It's presented like it's a present tense in the English translation, but it's a perfect passive participle, which should be translated... Um, let me go back to verse 10, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, that is the judgment seat of Christ, having been having been filled in your life in time, having been filled with the fruits of righteousness which are in Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. And then we have passages like first uh, like Colossians 1 9 through 11. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Are we praying these passages back to God? Uh, just praying f- uh, that the Father would fill us with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Pray what the scriptures are saying. Let this shape your language and your requests in scripture for the purpose of being able to walk uh, worthy in the Lord. Now, this covers our priorities in terms of intercession. Next time, we'll come back and wrap it up when we talk about petition, and then we'll go on into the verse looking at these three great virtues of the Christian life, faith, love, and hope. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study these things today, to be reminded of of the importance of prayer, that we might not take it lightly, that we might not... Uh, just think of prayer as just quick little bullet prayers to you, but that we might give it uh, some profound attention and focus in our lives, knowing that this is a, a central and the development of our own intimacy and fellowship with you. And we pray you would challenge us with these truths in Christ's name. Amen.